So Kwame really liked my erotic eggs joke. He loved it. Did he tell you? <laughs> he did. Yeah. He was like, what? I was like, I know. Sam fucking nailed it. It was hilarious. Do you love erotic omelets? This is the podcast for you. <laughs> everybody. Welcome to Storage Room Movie Boom. I'm Eden. I'm Sam. This is the podcast where two adult siblings talk about movies in their parents' basement. In which we, neither one of us live. We do not live here. Just a reminder. We haven't been reminding people the past few episodes, but yeah. Do not live in this basement, nor anywhere in this house. That's true. Not anymore. No. Independently living from each other and our parents. It is great. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a great thing. Although we are lucky to have the storage room to record in. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll uh, eventually have to post pictures of like all the wild stuff that's in here. So, you know, mom actually asked me, she goes, do you want those Harry Potter posters? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she goes, what are you going to do with them? I was like, I don't know. But hang them I, off your balcony. I've got Harry and, and Hermione. Uh, apartment views. And I've stuff. got Harry and Hermione on those. They're like the big um, banner ones. Yeah, the big promotional like, banners yeah, for exactly. the theaters. Yeah, I think it was for the fifth movie, maybe. I can't see it. They're not open right now, but I think it's for the fifth movie. You're probably right. Um, but yeah, my my friend Carrie gave those to me. She and her husband used to work at a movie theater. He was a manager. And so we would get uh, special screening sometimes. We would like rent out the theater and like have a midnight show just for her friends. Oh. Yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Um, but she kept the Ron Weasley poster. Of course. For which I will never forgive her. <laughs> Friendship over. Friendship over. I do like I, a ginger. I so. haven't seen all the Harry Potter movies. I've seen three and seven and parts of four. Wow. You're all over the board. Basically. You're really not getting much of the story then. Nope. Uh, I mean, there are some of them that I do truly love because I am such a fan of the books, but the books are obviously significantly better. Right. Now, obviously being tainted by J.K. Rowling being a fucking maniac, but <laughs> if we can set that aside and still just love Harry Potter. Death of the author, right? There you go. Um, Guys. I love that we went ahead and just took a tangent off the top. Bam. So this week we're going to talk about a movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Last week we talked about Galaxy Quest. Yes, we did. We both liked it. Big fans. Yep. At the end of that, because Galaxy Quest is about actors, failed actors, let's say, struggling actors, um, I pitched three other movies about struggling actors. Those movies were Sunset Boulevard, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Birdman. Sam chose. Once upon time. Once upon time. Once upon time. Sam chose Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And so uh, let's get to the fact sheet. Let's get into it. Um, and then I will get your. We haven't talked about this yet. I cannot wait to hear if you liked it or not. We have not spoken about it. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was released July 26, 2019. Two hours and 41 minutes. Not his longest movie. I did check run times on all of those. Mm -hmm. uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino. The synopsis from IMDb, a faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. That's a little misleading. Uh, That's not a great synopsis at well, all. Well, this isn't a great script. <laughs> Whoa, we gonna fight. We're gonna fight. Um, all right. So I guess uh, Hot Take Central, it only took 18 episodes for Sam to come out. Well, uh, we'll see. I'm not going to get, uh, you know, hot takey, but uh, yeah, I have a feeling we may disagree in this. Okay, got it. Well, uh, we took a look at Rotten Tomatoes, our favorite website. And on that website, the film has an approval rating of 85% based on 567 reviews with an audience score of 70%. Yeah, I think both of those are generous. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not surprised by the critical. Oh, I'm not um, surprised by the critical score at all. I'm. I guess I'm not really surprised by the seventy percent either. I mean, I could see it is really long. This movie is basically uh, set up for an hour and a half, and then finally some action in the latter half of the movie. It is. Um, yeah, set up as being generous. It's a lot. <laughs> now, you know what? Well, we'll, we'll get into it because I, I do have things to say. Um, but it has an average rating of 83 on Metacritic. So that's pretty high, actually. Oh, well, that okay, might be then. actually one Probably of the highest. one of the higher ones that we've reviewed. I think so. Yeah. Because even Stand By Me was in the 80s, I think. You know, like 85 out of 100 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so our cast, 
you know, I'm going to talk about our, our core cast or just run down. I mean, there are eight million goddamn cameos in this, and I'll try to point them out as they as we go through it. But yeah. there are too many. We have Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously, as Rick Dalton. Brad MVP. Pitt, MV fucking P. Ah, he's so good. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> and then Brad Pitt. He's uh, Brad Pitt. He is Brad Pitt. This is really the role he was meant to play. It's Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt playing Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. As Cliff Booth, Margot Robbie or Roby. Do you know what I think it's Robbie. It's Robbie. Okay. Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. Emile Hirsch, who I really liked as Jay Sebring. Uh, Margaret Qualley as Pussycat, who is baby Annie McDowell as her mom. Can you, oh. say, can you see that? With the look and the hair, especially. Mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant as James Stacy. Bruce Dern makes a little bit of a cameo. Dakota Fanning. Um, Al Pacino. He gets a credit at the top, and he's not in this movie a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's in it most most of his stuff's at the beginning. Exactly. Um, we've got Luke Perry in his very last role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do have Damian Lewis, a very bit part as Steve McQueen. So um, I, I thought I'd throw that in there. Um, yeah. I have Austin Butler down as the Tex character. Um, I don't think I recognize him from anything. Uh, but no, I don't no? know from okay. either. Got it. Um, so anyway, like I said. Well, one more, because when I was watching the end credits, Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith's daughter, was uh-huh. the character of Froggy. Do I remember which one that is? No. but She was one of the cult kids? Probably. Oh, yeah. wow. So there you go. That's if fucking you, awesome. If you figure out which one Froggy is, that's Kevin Smith's daughter. Let me get to the Miss Laney. Okay, got it. Miss Elaney. She's showed up again. Miss Elaney. She has shown up. She's very nice. She's real nice. She tends to talk a lot, though. She talks a <laughs> lot. Oof. My, oh my, and it takes one to know one. All right, uh, Margot Robbie, who portrays Sharon Tate, wears some of Sharon Tate's actual jewelry, which was provided by Tate's sister, Deborah Tate, which I thought was kind of a, which I'm assuming that means that her sister gave her blessing on this movie and you would the hope performance. So. I would hope so, yeah. I mean, she does literally nothing offensive. She's nothing but delightful. She doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. She's but basically there to be pretty and dance. That's it. They they don't and actually that was um some of the negative feedback after this movie came out people yeah. were like she's a main character and they, yet we'll she's put not that in quotes yeah exactly I was <laughs> uh, <laughs> air quotes air quotes um and she's given hardly any lines the character has no development whatsoever yeah um and I understand that she's not the main character she's just kind of a tool to be used for the story um because of the alternate reality ending but. Yeah, he could have done more, and yeah, he, didn't. he didn't. Yeah, that's generous, because again, well, well, we'll get into we'll it get into when we it. get there. Um, so when Cliff, at the very end in the, uh, okay, so this shouldn't be a spoiler alert. This whole fucking podcast is a spoiler alert, but some of, of the course. miscellany has to do with the end of the movie, which is um, when Cliff, Brad Pitt, recognizes the Manson family members after they bust into the house, he can't remember Tex's name. Tex responds by saying, I'm the devil and I came to do the devil's business. The real life Tex Watson said this exact phrase to the victims at Sharon Tate's house before they were murdered. Mm-hmm. The cream Cadillac that Brad Pitt drives belongs to Michael Madsen. It was also in Reservoir Dogs. That movie sucks. Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> I didn't Reservoir like Dogs it. was a hard watch. It was a very hard watch. I can't watch Tim Roth die for two hours. It's right. emotionally draining. <laughs> um, uh, in one of the Italian movies in which Rick stars, it is said to be directed by Antonio Margariti. In Inglorious Bastards from 2009, one of Tarantino's other movies, Antonio Margariti is the alias used by Donnie Donowich to sneak into the premiere of Nation's Pride. So reuse the character go. name. Got it. This was, as I mentioned I think Luke Perry's last film um, was very sad. He died very shortly after this. Um, Kurt Russell uh, is a character and also our narrator. Right. That I got things to say about that. Me too. Um, <laughs> this is one of two 2019 projects in which Damon Harriman plays Charles Manson. The other one being the season two of Netflix's Mindhunter, which is a killer show. I have not but, watched it, but dude, it's, it's got Anna Torv, so I'm. I've, it's always on my radar. Of I might want to watch it. It is really, <laughs> really good. The main character is Jonathan Groff, and I don't care for him. He's very cartoony. Like he's great in like theater and being funny and ah, campy. Okay, and so he plays serious in this, and it. I I don't totally buy it, but I love the guy who plays his partner, and it's a Fincher project so oh, it looks okay. amazing well that yeah. yeah i could see that from it's really looks. really good um the fictional red apple brand of cigarettes in the movie is the brand that tarantino uses in all of his movies so 
Um, Tim Roth, James Marston, and Danny Strong were all cut from the film. So that's three other cameos. All they gone. did get special uh, mentions, though, in the credits. Oh, did they? Yeah. They got special thanks, too, when they were in there. Oh, nice. I didn't stay for that. Um, this movie also opens up with very shortly at the very top when we see um, we're watching Leo's old, not Leo, excuse me, Rick Dalton's old TV show, Bounty Law, you hear the Wilhelm scream as a character falls from the roof. Mm -hmm. So um, I was familiar uh, with the Wilhelm scream as a concept. I knew oh, yeah. what Have it was. Have you never heard it before? No, no, I had, but I just hadn't really looked into it. And like, as far as like who is believed to be and all of this stuff, would you like me to give you a little bit of background? Or Your do you call. know it already? No, I don't know the background of oh. the effect. I just know that they use it in a lot of movies. Yes, exactly. Like infamously in like a lot of the um, Star Wars movies, yep. Indiana Jones. It's been in Game of Thrones. It's like a sound effect that's been I think used. it's in Man of Steel, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. People and it's it's very cheeky. I love that. Right. Uh, apparently, the scream is believed to be voiced by actor Sheb Woolley. Um, beginning in 1951, it was the it was first used in a movie called Distant Drums. The scream is usually used when somebody is shot or falls from a great height or thrown from an explosion. One of those sort of things. In the scene from the film, soldiers are wading through a swamp in the Everglades, and one of them is bitten and dragged under the water by an alligator. The screams for that scene and other scenes in the movie were all recorded in a single take. The recording was entitled. Quote, man getting bit by alligator, comma, and then he screamed. Well, perfect. It's great. Yeah. I love it. So, um, so yes, the, I don't know that they have an exact person they can attribute it to, but it is believed that it's the actor Sheb Woolley. Um, yes. And like you said, it's like in a million other movies. It's in a bunch of like um, Pixar movies as well. Um, and while I was going off on my tangent, looking up. Uh, some stuff about the Wilhelm scream. It was also mentioned the Howie scream. Are you familiar with the Howie scream? Uh, I probably know it if I heard it. Also known as the Howie Long scream. Often compared to the Wilhelm scream, its prominence in a number of movies has launched a few nicknames, such as the Howie Long scream, in reference to Howie Long's character's death scene in the 1996 film Broken Arrow. It appears to have originated from a fight scene in the 1980 movie The Ninth Configuration. So I listened to, and we'll play that right now. Yeah. I listened to both of those. So the Wilhelm screen is very identifiable. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't know what it was, if you just heard it for the first time on this podcast, you would know, you would clock that every other time you watch a movie. Exactly. Like, oh, it's very distinctive. Exactly. The Howie scream is a little more gut wrenching, but um, still equally as goofy. So uh, I just thought that was pretty fun. So Miss Eleni has left. Miss Eleni, she's gone. Bye. We'll see you later, Miss Eleni. Bye, Miss Eleni. Um, so, off the top, let's hear your general thoughts. I had seen this before, and actually enjoyed it better on a second rewatch. I didn't like it. I thought it was boring, and the first two hours are totally disconnected from the last 30 minutes. It's, I don't disagree with you. I felt the very same way when I watched it. I didn't, I didn't dislike it, though. I liked the movie, even the first time I watched it. Um, but I, I'm with you. It feels like a very slow... Like, a very slow introduction for an hour and a half. Then it sort of picks up in a weird, strange way. And then the last 30 minutes are apeshit. Yeah, it's it's weird because it's just, yeah, the last 30 minutes, like, admittedly, that part is really fun. Mm -hmm. it, it is. It's over the top Tarantino violence and it's very cathartic yeah. and enjoyable. Oh, for sure. But, you know, if if you take anything from my perspective mm -hmm. on this movie, watch that scene on YouTube and then just go about your day. Like, don't watch the rest of this movie. I think a lot of people might agree with you, actually. Yeah. yeah um. But it's like the first two hours are just so they're plotting. He just sits on shots and nothing's, yeah, happening. nothing's happening. It's so much. It's probably the most nostalgia winking for baby boomers that I've seen since Forrest Gump. It's not as much as Forrest Gump. Right. But mm -hmm. I mean, he's very much taking in all the music, all the sights of the 60s and all the figures. The and Steve McQueen, and like, TV, yeah, TV shows, commercials. He's, yeah. he's just rocking all of it. Brands, marketing. like Yeah. You know, it's the whole thing. Nostalgia for L.A. at the time. Mm -hmm. like, um, even landmarks that are still there. But there's a montage kind of in the middle of the movie that kind of separates between the first half and the second half. Yeah. Um, where you get a montage of like all of the neon lights turning on in the city. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually very cool. Like I love like landmarks like that and the architecture and all of that. That's kind of nostalgic to L.A. at the time. Right. But um, but yeah, it is. It was a lot. And it it definitely this time I was like, I mean, I know, I guess, a fair bit about like 
film in Hollywood and like right. that sort of thing. But it felt like there were so many references. Like every time it would sh- he would show a shot of a TV that was playing, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, guys, like, like maybe somebody's enjoying this. But like, I'm like, okay, another thing that I just don't, I don't know that reference. And maybe a lot of people right. don't. So um, I get he was setting the scene. But as I mentioned, or started to mention earlier, on a second rewatch, mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed it more because I was able to analyze it a little bit more rather than experiencing it for the first time. Right. So we'll say that like, while there is a lot of fat to trim, there's a lot of fat oh, to yeah, trim. Oh yeah, you can take easy half an hour out of this movie. For sure. And I, I agree, like we, every scene does have an intention, but he doesn't need to double up on some of those. Right. Like, um, for example, uh, showing Leo on set with his current life, you know, like where he's he's guesting as a bad guy on this Western with mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant, who is the main character. Like you, there's the great scene where he interacts with the girl, the young actor. And that's awesome. But then they show like two other scenes of him acting on there. And it's like you didn't need both of those. Or if you yeah. did make them shorter. Yeah. So he just I mean, rewatching it, I did find that. I saw where Tarantino did it with why he left some of the stuff in there. Like he was telling us stuff that we've already been told in the movie. Like yeah. it's very, you know, it repeats mm-hmm. itself a lot, basically through tonal Agreed. intention. Like we get it. You know, Kurt Russell is an aging typecast actor yep. and he's very upset with the direction of his career. Okay, that's fine. Kurt Russell, but, you mean Leo? Oh, I'm sorry. Leo, yeah. not Kurt mm-hmm. Russell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he beats us over the head with that in like three separate drawn out scenes yeah. and you're like okay we get it he's he's having a kind of hard go of it right now exactly and then he just doesn't and it just turns around like like snap your fingers and that's it and you're like and, okay but i think that that is the whole point is that like i mean your career as an actor particularly in hollywood mm-hmm. can turn on a dime mm-hmm. you could get a lucky break and then be the hottest thing tomorrow and right. then you could be nobody in three days so I think that is the point mm. is that, you know, he's he's done a successful job overtly um, from a macro level of showing the alternating experiences of actors. You're seeing Sharon, Sharon, I almost said Sharon Stone, Sharon Tate and her. She's just beginning. She's on her new career. She's excited. People like her. She's got a northern trajectory. Mm-hmm. And then that's contrasted against her neighbor, Rick Dalton, who is on a southern trajectory. He's kind of a has-been. He's guesting on these shows where he plays the same character. He's always the big bad guy. He's always stuck in Westerns. Westerns are starting to fade out at this point. Mm -hmm. They're really showing that contrast. Um, So I I like the overarching story. I really do. Um, And, you know, and Brad Pitt is there. Uh, Yeah, that's basically And Brad Brad Pitt Pitt is is kind of roped into Leo's story as well and kind of mirroring that in a weird way. Really, the only reason Brad Pitt is there is to tie those three storylines together. Sharon's, That's his loose way but it of is saying because it. he's the only one initially that has the experience with the cult, with the Manson family. So like we need him to bring the Manson family idea back to this cul-de-sac essentially, right? We need him to have an experience with them to tie that together. We've got the two people who are neighbors. And so because they're neighbors, you know, and they communicate, they're both in the same industry and we're seeing both of their uh, careers alternating. Mm-hmm. We've got that relationship. So it's all there. It just takes an hour and a half to two hours to get us there. And right. it's too long. I Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Um, and we can dig into it more as we get to that actual point of the plot synopsis. I just, I don't know. I don't think a lot of this, I, I see what you're saying in terms of the relationships, but I don't think the movie does enough to actually make those connections. I, I think in terms of the Sharon Tate material, like, unless you know, like, when she started acting and right. the trajectory of her career, like, I didn't know any of that. And right. the movie doesn't tell me that she is. For right. all I know, she's established and she's been doing it for 10 years. Right. I am a layman in her professional, yeah. you know, filmography. So for all I know, she just really likes seeing herself on screen. Well, so that's actually to your point where you were saying this felt like it was just um, fan servicey to boomers. Yeah, you and, and to, to movie have, people. Yes, or even just, I mean... 
current events in pop culture because you have to have a, a certain amount of knowledge existing within you to see this movie and get it. Yeah, if you don't know who Sharon Tate is and what happened to her in real life, you're not going to understand what this. You're movie not going to understand it. Like, I mean, I've listened to enough murder podcasts to like know the whole story and what actually happened and right. how that differs from this. But like, some people don't. They know that Charles Manson is a fucking maniac and a bunch of people were horribly killed. Yeah, but like maybe they don't have all that other explanation to it and like so it's it's easter eggs for people that know what's going on Mm -hmm. like seeing the one scene where charles manson shows up to their house thinking it's terry melcher's house right like that's a real thing that happened you know and so that's why that house was targeted because whatever so he found out who lived there but like really it's not that scene is super short and not really played with a ton of significance no it's like a two minute quickie so if you didn't know the real Story. If you don't even know that that's Charles Manson, you're yeah. not going to know. You're not going to understand. It's very inside Hollywood. And uh, I can. that's why I'm not surprised at all by the critical score, because guess what? Movie critics well, know a lot of this stuff. Yeah, so they're going to enjoy it and yeah. get a lot more out of it than mm-hmm. me, your everyday guy who isn't. Right. I mean, I know a decent amount of sure. certain things. You yeah. know, I'm by no means an insider. But right. um, yeah, there's a lot that I don't know. And it just kind of went past me. And I'm like, OK, right. well. That that's great, I guess. <laughs> I think of the I think there are a lot of positive things, and I think you'll probably agree with me on a couple of these, which is fucking Leo is killing it. In this oh, movie. I agree. He acts his butt off. He I this is why so this was the movie that they finally decided to give an Oscar for best supporting to Brad Pitt just because everybody seems to like Brad Pitt. It was Pitt. his turn. It was his turn. And um, but I'm not saying he did a bad job in this. He he played himself. He's remarkably unremarkable. Exactly. And I think that he played himself in this movie and did a great job playing himself. So, I mean, and I am, I've mentioned it before in this podcast, not a Brad Pitt fan. Yeah, because his eyebrows don't move. Eyebrows and he's soulless, <laughs> soulless man. But he, he did a great job in this movie. But I'm like, compared to fucking Leo? No. Leo's yeah. murdering this movie. Mm-hmm. So, so good. Yeah. And like, as I was rewatching it today, like I said, I was scanning back through. I watched it yesterday morning, rewatched it again this morning. Um, especially the scene where he's acting with the little girl and the little girl comes up and says, that's the best acting I've ever seen. Right. His fucking face. Oh, I yeah. mean, God damn. <laughs> so emotive. And he's just like... I understand that he's probably in the realm of the Meryl Streep's where they're like, yeah, she's amazing in everything. Like he yeah. set the bar too high for himself. You know what I mean? Well, to be fair to him, he's not at this point. Meryl Streep basically does impersonations of other people and gets Oscar nominations. Well, like just, he's yeah, but, at least playing original characters. He is. But historically, she's an amazing actress. Oh, yeah, that I'm can not saying truly she's transform not, into any character. Right. Um, I'm just talking recent history. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah, sure. Um but he like, man, I'll say from back in the day, I mean, granted, my experience with Leo was like, was eating Gilbert Grape, which he was incredibly talented right. in that. Um, but then also Titanic, which I was like not a fangirl of Leo, right. teenage Leo. But Romeo he, and Juliet. Yep. But see, that's not I mean, like I like Buzz Lerman, but like I'm not into that sort of thing. Right. Um, but he just continues to show the fuck up and be so amazing in all of his pictures. Yeah. It's just, it's truly undeniable. So I think that I enjoy that in this a lot. That's true. If you're looking for a good performance, uh, yeah, you watch you watch this for Leo. It's basically equivalent, at least in my mind, uh, to There Will Be Blood. Like, if you wanted yeah. to see an actor give a really good performance mm-hmm. over two hours, then yeah, this is, this is that it. for Leo. Yes, for sure. And I just, he's such a, he's also such a physical actor, mm-hmm. like the like gum chewing, the cigarette smoking. So many cigarettes. So I It made me feel You could feel basically sick. smell it. They I were know. smoking so much. Oof. And like, even on like one of the opening scenes, we see their feet as they exit a car and all the cigarette butts spill out. It's I like was a like, dozen Ugh. cigarette butts. Yeah. And as someone who has currently got a chest cold, that made me like feel terrible thinking about all that. So I get it. And I, like I said, I agree with you. Even though I liked this movie the first time. I felt like it was really slow. We were getting a lot of the same information. Mm-hmm. We were getting beaten over the head with it. It got a lot of fat to trim. And then the end, Tarantino shows up and fucking makes a Tarantino movie. And it's great and horrific yeah. and super satisfying. Right, exactly. So I think knowing our consensus is let's jump in. And we've talked a lot about you know this. And actually, as I was going back and making my notes, because I watched them or I made my notes after watching the movie, I was like, 
for being how long it is, I don't have truly that many notes. Because there's not a whole lot of plot to take notes of. It's, yeah. it's you know, people and just settings. And there's not a whole lot of, to be perfectly honest, there's not a whole lot of things happening. Yeah. <laughs> until the end. Yeah. This first. So when I watched it yesterday, like I told you, I was going to try it this week as an experiment to not take notes while I was watching it. Right. And um, so I was there watching the movie and I was like, OK, until I get to a point where I'm like, OK, I'm bored with this. I got to take stop. Mm-hmm. That point came in an hour and 20 minutes in exactly halfway through the movie. And yeah. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so I like got up and took a break and like got a drink or whatever. But like, yeah, it, uh it's a slog at the beginning. It is. It's very mm-hmm. much a slog. But hey, you know, second week in a row where we have uh, had a movie that starts with a fake throwback TV show. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. So we open up and we see Bounty Law, his show from the 50s. Yep. And um, so this introduces us and there's a, a, a little bit that honestly I would have cut where uh, you have a news anchor or a host interviewing both Leo and Brad Pitt yes. on the set of Bounty Law. And I get it kind of sets him up, but like to right. me, it didn't really provide anything. We could have figured really. that out. But the uh, the news anchor is actually, well, I don't, I know he's done other things, mm-hmm. but this is the one thing that my wife pointed out. Hmm. In the classic Star Trek Next Gen episode, uh-huh. uh, The Drumhead, he yeah. played a Lieutenant Simon Tarsus. No kidding. Yeah. So Look he was young. So. Also connection to last week. Exactly. More Star Trek and, you know, crossover. So, well, let me let go. me ask you a question. So um, your wife watched this with you. Had she seen it before? No. And she actually got it confused with another movie. She's like, oh, yeah, that's a good movie. And then we started watching this. She's like, I've never seen this before. And then she got so bored, she made me leave. <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't even finish it? No, no. We oh, got she missed maybe, the whole exciting part. Yeah, we got maybe halfway through and I'm like, do you need me to go in the other room? She's like, yeah, do, you go ahead. And I said, yeah. fine. Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. So we're introduced to Bounty Law. We're introduced to our main characters. Leo is Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt as Brad Pitt. And then we very quickly jump to present time. Um, Leo is meeting with Al Pacino, who's doing a great job. Oh, yeah. He's, he's you know, schmoozing it up. He's uh, he's really acting in this. I mean, he's still Al Pacino. Right. He's, he's basically a casting agent, right? That's my yes, takeaway because they don't explicitly say, I no. am blank from here. Yeah, so he's n- he's not his direct representation, but he's definitely someone that's like, because he is a connection to these Italian directors and filmmakers and right. he's like, I can find you a star. So that's why he meets with him to kind of, basically in this meeting, he just talks mad shit to him. He's like, what are you yeah. going to be another bad guy? You're going to be another guy that just gets blown away, blown away by the next mm-hmm. hot young actor. And he's like, you go to Italy, you do this thing and you, you can be the star in Italy. And so, um, he he really shuts him down to try and pick him up. It's a it's yeah. that weird manipulative mood. Of course, this this scene is edited like an episode of Family Guy. There's so many smash cuts to random bits well, about his filmography that you've yes. seen, and it's like there's no need to have us uh, seeing that. That's I mean that feels like Tarantino, and it's not exactly. It's not an original thought unless you go way back to like Truffaut or something like that. But. Um, uh, some of them are entertaining at first because it does kind of pull you in and it also reminds you, hey, uh, Tarantino also hates Nazis and right. loves flamethrowers. So like do you see a, a cutaway of that. Actually, the part that I like in that a little funny bit is when you see real life Leo practicing with the flamethrower with the special effects or the equipment guy. Yeah. And he goes, is there anything you can do about that heat? And he goes, Rick, it's a flamethrower. Yeah. Great. Great delivery from that guy. Whoever yeah, that guy is, so- killing it. And again, they they do the same thing later, though, where he, you know, uh, Leo's talking to another guy yeah. later on on the set and they do the same thing. And it's like these long protracted cutaways yeah. to different. I don't know. It's There's just a whole flashback sequence that is in the memory of Brad Pitt that is it comes out of nowhere. And you're like, what? What, what does this mean? What is it? It, just, it really all it does is it tells you that his wife died and everybody thinks he did it. Right. And does that then, matter at all? No, it's just like one guy doesn't like him for one scene and it's never brought up again. Yeah. And like they don't <laughs> need that to there's do you know, there's a cutaway within that where it's like so the first cut or the first flashback level one inception is Brad yep. Pitt thinks back to being on the set and fighting Bruce Lee yep. within that. There's a there's the second level inception where they flash back to him on a boat with his ex-wife. Yes. Presumably he shoots her with a harpoon. We don't see that. Right. Yeah. So uh, but I was like, Quentin, I get what you're doing. It's cheeky. It's fun. We all kind of like these cutaways. But it was truly unnecessary because the only reason to tell us that Brad Pitt killed his ex-wife and got away with it, according to some people, is that he's also not really hireable because people just don't really want to work with him. Right. Because what's leading up to that is is when he drops off Leo 
which is actually kind of where we're at here. Um, he drops off Leo to go to work mm-hmm. and he goes, oh, hey, did you ask the uh, the stunt supervisor about me? And he's like, ah, well, you know, this guy, whatever, and kind of makes an excuse. And he's like, sorry, buddy, next time. Yeah. So Brad Pitt goes back to fix the antenna on the roof. And that's when he starts reflecting back on yeah. probably why he is unhirable. Yeah, and I remember when this came out, the Bruce Lee estate was not at all happy with how they portrayed no. Bruce Lee in this movie. Mm-mm. I mean, I obviously never met Bruce Lee because, yeah. you know, right. I forget when he died, but it was obviously well before I was born, I think. So at any rate, I just he portrays him like this boisterous, you know, he's a um, very cocky, pompous smarmy. D-bag. Yeah. And yeah. I just I don't know. I find that hard to believe, but maybe it is. Well, I, don't know, I but. even just recently, Tarantino was on whose podcast? Uh, it might have been Joe Rogan, which is probably why I didn't listen to it. <laughs> but um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, he because uh, Bruce Lee's daughter even recently was kind of reflecting on what a poor reflection that was of her father in the yeah. movie. And he said, of course, she's his daughter. Like, of course, she's going to be upset by that representation of him. Right. So like, but of course... That's not Tarantino apologizing for anything. He's like, that's I like under- saying, I'm sorry, you're offended. That's it. Or which I, is a non-apology. I understand why you're offended. Yeah. That's really what he was saying. Um, to me, I think that the narrator of that scene is Brad Pitt and how Brad Pitt sees him. Right. Because Brad Pitt comes out as the beast that beats up Bruce Lee and throws him into a goddamn car. And smashes half the car in. Exactly. Which is comical. It's great. Right. It's very Tarantino. So I think that this is supposed to be if I were to speak for Quentin Tarantino, how Brad Pitt views, not how Brad Pitt, I'm sorry. How he perceived that incident as actually happening. Yes, exactly. How he saw Bruce Lee at that time as a stuntman, as kind of an, another cocky stuntman looking at a cocky action star, right. you know? So that, that that is my defense of, of that representation, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't enough to ruin the movie or anything for me. I'm like, that eh, doesn't feel right. But it does who seem knows? surprising, I think, because I think normally he is portrayed as like being a very nice man. So this right. is um, this seems very different. But I think again, it's um, narrator bias, probably. Right. So gosh, there's a lot that we like. They they the, show that they introduce the family, the Manson family members, by showing them dumpster diving and being they do. creepy yep, and singing the, songs yep. and oh, hauling crap out of. Uh, the dumpster and Brad Pitt kind of gives one a uh, not really a lecherous look, but more like an interested look. Yeah, I think his relationship with. So this is Margaret Qualley, who is baby Annie McDowell, Tanny McDowell's daughter. Oh, OK. So I can see that. Yeah. And um, so they have several run ins. Three. Three run ins through the movie that ties us back to him going to the Spawn Ranch and meeting the family. But he doesn't meet Charles, which right. actually I like that he kept him out of. The right. movie, you know, um, because the event in question did not, at least in the actual incident, did not involve him directly. Like correct. he wasn't there. No, he just told them to do exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Actually, I, you know, I, I wrote down each scene Um. and we can maybe because I didn't. I mostly just wrote that I was bored as shit. Well, I was going to say <laughs> we can hit the highlights. Um. Be, and I think that we've talked a lot about what the beginning of this movie is. Right. And it really sets up the relationship between how Leo feels about the descent of his career. Mm-hmm. And Brad Pitt's obviously reflecting on how his career is kind of falling into um, unfavorable circumstances based on the fact that he killed somebody. Um, and then we're seeing at the same time Sharon... St- Sharon... <laughs> Sharon Tate, of course, there's a th- like you had mentioned, you know, her career is up and coming. I mentioned that they don't really tell yes, you. That. But right. the one thing that they do make it a point to tell you mm-hmm. is that Sharon Tate and a couple of her friends go to this party at the Playboy Mansion at the Playboy Mansion. And they basically have Steve McQueen narrate or <gasps> exposit what her relationship is to Roman Polanski yep. and the other guy and all this stuff. And I'm like, OK, that's great. But that's not related to anything. Who cares? It's like it, I guess if you don't know who Sharon Tate is, OK, she was married to Roman Polanski. But that's the that's the thing that I think is meant by this. And I wrote it down, too, because I was like, Steve McQueen, what are you doing? Like, yeah, it, it was very obvious and I don't know perhaps Tarantino meant it that way but uh, to me that scene was meant for people that didn't know the actual story of these murders right and who the people were so like if you're if you're a, a younger person who maybe hasn't gotten into true crime yet and you're watching this you're like oh yeah like who's Sharon Tate and so then he gives the whole she used to be engaged to this guy but then she went and made a movie and now she's married to this guy but then they're all hanging out all the time they're all just best friends and so right. like it is very stupid for all of us that know it. I felt like that could have been cut out because yeah. that, that was the only point of them 
going to the Playboy Mansion other right. than just showing that she's had a successful life and she has famous friends because you see Michelle Phillips and Mama Cass mm-hmm. and I'm sure all sorts of other people. But like it's that can be an example of like who she is. Right. But then there's a lot of other stuff after this. And I'm like, right. We get it already. Um, yeah. But again, like if you don't know who Sharon Tate is or what happened to her, this move that that you know, dialogue, mm-hmm. that exchange or, you know, exposition isn't going to help you know that. It just knows who she's related to. Who she is, But yeah. none of that has any bearing on what happened to her later I know. Because they really, like, they obviously mentioned that she's married to Roman Polanski. And, like... Yeah, I'm sorry. It just, every time... I, I know. I, yeah. He's a fucking disgusting... He's a pedophile. Dude, there's, there is... <laughs> he is 100%. Yeah. Objectively, yeah. Yeah, that's why he's hiding in a... Gosh, where is he? It's oh, in Europe. he's in is Europe, it, yeah. It's somewhere with a non-extradition treaty because he had sex with a 13-year-old. He's a fucking sick motherfucker. So, um, you know, you hate that his wife died the way that she did. You never want that to happen no. to anybody. But, at you know, things being what they are, and he's still gross. Yeah, he's still fucking disgusting. And there's actually a scene the morning after... I will say more of a shot. It's not a scene. Nothing happens. But there is a shot of the actor that plays him the morning after they go to the Playboy Mansion. He's sitting outside drinking coffee. I'm like, we don't need that. We didn't learn anything from that. Right. Except for what the actor that's supposed to play Roman Polanski looks like. Right. That's all that we learned. It's like he sits at a table, drinks a sip of coffee, picks up a ball and throws it for his dog. And that's it. That's it. We did not need that. Like if there was something, if we showed him having a meeting, have a phone call so that if you didn't know he was a super famous and really hot director at the time, maybe you showed that. Through because like really even uh, well, I guess Leo does say when he learns they move next door, he's like, oh, my God, the fucking director of Rosemary's Baby's next door. So right. he explains it. So like that's just another thing that I'm like, Quentin, you got to edit that, man. Yeah. Edit that down. And again, it still feels creepy knowing now yes. who Roman Polanski is totally. and the movie is heaping praise upon Roman Polanski. And yes. now, obviously, at the time, the perception was that. You know, this, that, and the other. But now it just, yeah, it reads a little off. For sure. Um, uh, But as I mentioned, you know, Brad Pitt goes back to the house to fix the antenna on the top. He gets uh, gets, uh, topless, (laughs) which, of course, okay. Um, I I think even the first time I watched it, I was like, obviously. I mean, like, what else was Brad Pitt going to do? So that's where we have our flashback to him beating up Bruce Lee. Um, That's also where we're introduced to Kurt Russell, who is our... uh, real life person that they've met formerly is a stunt coordinator mm-hmm. and also our narrator. Yeah. Why? I have no idea. Cause so, it's not like he really shows up even past that one flashback scene as, as the character, yeah, the narrator he, shows up. But, but in, even the narrator, you get a little VO at the top about the relationship between Leo and Brad as in like mm-hmm. Brad works for him and drives him around. Yeah. And you don't hear from him for him out for an hour and a half. Yeah, and then even then, there's like spoiler warning. There's a six month time skip in yes, this movie exactly. because you knew there was. If you know Sharon Tate, yes, you know when she was murdered, she was pregnant. Exactly. At the beginning of the movie, she is not pregnant. So right. you're going, okay, there's going to be a time skip in this movie. Yeah. So you hit a certain point in the movie, skip ahead, time mm-hmm. skip six months, and then Kurt Russell dumps exposition on you to tell you what happened over the six months. It's wild. It is truly. I I I was trying to find a reason in this rewatch where I was like, I I, I did appreciate more of the story. Like I said, and like some of the nuance to it, I was like, dude, like you didn't need, if, if, if you're previous to the six months when this happens is required to show what happens to these people, who they are, kind of how they get there and how they are intertwined. I mean, it doesn't need to be an hour and a half. Right. It does not. And also like, this is called once upon a time in Hollywood, right? The in Hollywood is where the emphasis is. Yes. So as a storytelling device leading to the or um, referencing to the once upon a time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish there was more Kurt Russell if Kurt Russell is the narrator and telling the story because right. he doesn't come in until the second half explains about the six month gap um, where they went, what they were doing. And then they walk through their days, the infamous fateful day. Yeah. Then he walks through everything that they did that day. Mm-hmm. Fine. But. It seems very. It makes it feel completely disconnected. Like the first two hours or so of this movie is, like you said, it's about um, Leo getting his groove back, essentially, as an actor. Yeah. And that that's what it's about. And then but none of that affects anything after the time skip, because essentially that's just driven by the murder. attempt. Yeah. Right. And I mean, 
just I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Like the first half, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Their relationships right. like it, none of that has any bearing or impact on what happens in the second half of the movie. Like Brad Pitt meeting the Mansons at right. the ranch does not affect that because all like they didn't go to Leo's house because they knew Brad Pitt. They went because yes. Leo went and cussed him out in the driveway. Right. So this is what I would I this is what I would like to do because I think we are saying the same thing in that the first half of this movie it's giving you a lot of background, a lot of it's unnecessary, but let's get past this. The one thing I would like to say if you have any final notes about anything in the first half and then let's just go ahead and jump to the time jump and get to the latter half of the movie. I think Emil Hirsch is great as Jay Sebring. It's a super small little character. Right. I just really like him in it. And he I thought he was a great little cameo because, I mean, I don't know what he's been doing lately. I just haven't seen him in anything. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, he was fine. I don't know enough about the real life person or anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he did, he did a fine job. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, Timothy Oliphant. Obviously, everybody loves him. He always he, he plays a what is it? Lone Star. Is that his show that he got really famous for? I don't recall. Hmm. Okay. Made that up. Uh, Like I said, we saw Luke Perry, which is really great. And um, the one thing that I will say about the first half of the movie that I think has really been um, beneficial to all people, which is it did give us the best meme ever, which is Leo snapping and whistling at the TV screen. That's true. Yep. Best best meme ever. Yeah, it's a good one. Thank you, Tarantino, for that. Thank you, Leo, for that in particular. It is a great meme. So let's jump to the second half. So we get Kurt Russell giving us the VO, telling us the story. And I'm like, I just wish we would have had more of that. But we learn, as you said, that Leo does take those jobs in Italy. So Mm -hmm. he goes to Italy. um, He does like four different movies. Uh... He, uh, Brad Pitt is there with him, obviously acting as a stunt double. But in the meantime, he, um, he's, uh, met a woman, married her, mm-hmm. an Italian actress. They move back. And when he moves back, he tells Brad, he's like, Hey, listen, like, I just, I kind of blew through all that money because he lived in a very expensive, you know, uh, apartment in, um, Rome in Rome. And, uh, and now I've got the wife and stuff, so I can't afford to keep you on as my driver anymore. So they decide the best thing to do is just have a big blowout that night. They are going to just like get drunk together. One last hurrah. Have a good time. Yep. So that is that sets up our fateful evening. Also at this part, as I mentioned, because we've got Kurt Russell giving the VO, we're also given um, like a little Chiron of what time of day it is. So yep. it's like at noon, we see like some of that. And I get why they're doing it because... In theory, this is all supposed to be building up to this one fateful night that we know in reality went one direction. And Tarantino is saying, hey, sliding doors moment. What if it went this direction? Right. And that's fine. So I get why they're being like walking through their days by being like at 12.05, they did this. At 8.37, they did this. At 8.14. Because it's supposed to be kind of based in reality, right? What we know of what actually happened. Right. Um, but it just seems so disconnected to the first half. I was kind of like, uh, all right, I guess. Um, but we're seeing um, over the second half, Kurt Russell is explaining and setting up everybody's day. So we the, we see that Sharon is there. We see that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. We see that she's got friends staying at the house. She said Jay is there with her. Roman is in Europe working on a movie. Um, we see that Brad Pitt comes back and gets Brandy, the all-star of this fucking movie, Brandy the Pitbull. Yeah, it's a cute dog. I'm I, not a fan of ear clipping, but I'm I not either. Still... It's a horrendous thing to do to dogs. Guys, don't yep. do that to your pets. The um cropping or whatever they call it but she is to me leo and brandy mvps of this movie agreed god she's so fucking cool like so there was a little scene early in the movie because she plays a very important part in the tarantino shit show madness at the end of it so we have to see at least a little bit earlier in the movie how she responds to brad pitt how he commands her and what her general you know Mm -hmm. the demeanor demeanor is. is yeah um so we see that he picks up the dog and then we see, you know, he and um, Leo go out to eat. They get drunk and they're having a good time. Um, and then they take a cab back to the house because uh, they got too drunk to drive the Cadillac back. Right. So. It's 10 p.m., let's say Sharon, not Sharon Stone. God damn. <laughs> Sharon Tate. Sharon Stone has nothing to do with us. Um, Sharon Tate. They say that she and her friends leave the restaurant. They get back at like 10 o'clock. They hang out for like an hour or so. Mm -hmm. They even give like the um, 
description of what all of her friends and housemates that are staying with her are doing. Mm-hmm. Like the Folgers girl, like smokes a joint in bed and goes to sleep at like eleven. Yeah, it's like a running gag. It's like they're doing this and, and smoking, smoking a, a joint. joint. They're doing this and, and smoking, smoking a, a joint. joint. Yeah, um, which is you know it's a funny bit, and I, I do love a Kurt Russell voice. He 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 does a great VO. Oh yeah, he's great. Um, I really like. So the family is in this old beat up car and they ride up into the cul-de-sac with the intention of going to Sharon Tate's house. Yeah, it's very much reminiscent of Fozzie's old Studebaker in the Muppet movie. Sure (laughs) is. It's like smoking and like, I mean, it's truly for not being a comical point yet. Although what's great is so Brad Pitt, after he and Leo gotten back to the house, Leo's like, I'm going to make a batch of drinks. Uh, Brad Pitt, in the meantime, had found an acid dip cigarette that he had uh, bought off a girl off the street mm-hmm. and he decides hey what the fuck last night let's just do it so he takes Brandy our girl Brandy for a walk smokes the cigarette and in the meantime the family rolls up and then because the car is so loud and it's obviously people don't drive up the streets this right. is a little cul-de-sac it is tucked away there's no reason any anybody would stumble upon it and fucking Leo comes out in a picture row. of margaritas. Picture of margaritas. It's like midnight. He's already drunk, drinking straight out of the, yes. the blender. Amazing. Yelling in them. They're like, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing here? You stupid damn hippies. Like, whatever. <laughs> the best scene is when it's the shot from inside the car looking through the driver's side window. And Leo's like ducked down and he's like, y'all get the fuck out of here. And then drinks <laughs> from the pitcher before he stands up. It is fucking great. God, Leo. Leo. Yeah, he's so good in this. <laughs> So our family, the family, rolls back down the street. We've got four people in the car. We've got Tex Watson, a redheaded woman whose name I don't remember, uh, an annoying girl that's about to be fucking crispy, Mm -hmm. and then Maya Hawk. (laughs) And uh, for anybody that doesn't know, Maya Hawk is the daughter of Uma Thurman, who has been in a million Tarantino movies. So I thought that was great. And she's... um, she plays one of the characters that obviously has second thoughts and she bails and steals the car. And so we've got our three family members. I apologize. Should jump back just a little bit. Well, the family members are in the car at the bottom of the hill. They're like, you know what Charlie said? Charlie said, go to Terry Melcher's old house, which is Sharon mm-hmm. T's house uh, and do these murders and make it witchy. Like this is what we know to happen in real life. Right. But because Leo came out and yelled at them, the girl in the front seat goes, wait a second. Is that Rick Dalton? Yeah, they kind of Tarantino a bit in this scene yeah. in terms of the dialogue they do. amongst the, the mm-hmm. Manson members. Yeah, they fan out about Rick Dalton and Rick Dalton. And he's like, oh, my God, when I was a kid, I had a lunchbox. And so you get a weird moment of like comedy and levity right. from a very, very serious situation. And this is the point at which our timelines shift or yeah. our, we're in a new dimension now because the horribly annoying girl in the back seat with the dark hair says, hey, you know, some bullshit response where it's like, you know, we were taught violence and killing from TV. We should kill the ones that taught us to kill. And then they go, all right, sweet. Let's set up Leo's house. Right. So that's how our movie has taken an alternate route from that. Mm -hmm. So uh, why don't you pick it up from here? Yeah, so they go back up to the house. Brad Pitt gets home. Mm-hmm. Leo is in the back in his pool with his headphones on, just listening Killing to music, what doing what scene. have you. Looking great. And so Brad Pitt, for the second time in this movie, is doing a really exhaustive, uh, drawn-out scene of feeding the dog. Yes. Where they show you several uncomfortable cl- uh, yeah. close-ups of the dog food as it slides out of the can. The sound. Yeah. there's. A, I'll, I'll give the sound effects guy just mad props here Oof, because... It is gross. Yeah, it's chunky. So uh, two of them text and one of the girls break in the front door yep. and then the little black hair girl breaks in the back. And so Brad Pitt's high off the acid cigarette. He's tripping balls. Yeah, he is tripping balls. He doesn't think that they're really there. So it's played a, for comedy. Yeah. Yeah. This this segment is definitely played for com- well, this whole this whole part bit, is yeah. basically played for comedy. Mm-hmm. But it's like Brad Pitt's right inside the front door. The two at the front door, the couch is to the left of the front door, yes. the immediate left. Yep. And Brandy is sitting on the couch. Yep. And then, you know, kind of to Brad Pitt's right as he's looking at the front door is mm-hmm. the other girl. Yes, correct. So they have this whole sequence of Brad basically going, are you guys real? Oh, wait, I recognize you guys. Yep. You know, you're I saw you at the, the place and did the stuff. Right. What have you. And uh, yes. they had the third member or the, the two at the front. Tex the has the head. girl go get Leo's wife out of the back bedroom. Correct. They don't know that Leo's in the back. 
Right. Yeah, because they come in and say, hey, is there anybody else here? And Brad Pitt says, well, just the girl in the back. Yeah, that's sleeping. Yeah. yeah. And so they pull her out. And I forget what the exact instigating moment is. What happens he, is he and Tex are now having a conversation, essentially, because right. he's like, oh, I know you guys. Yeah, you, you and you. And he goes, you had a really stupid name. What was your name again? It was like Rex. And he goes, and one of the other girls goes like, fucking shoot him, Tex. Or when he goes, Tex, that was it. And he's yeah. like, it's played for laughs. It's funny. And Tex like has a gun on him the whole time. Yeah, he's got a gun. The other two girls have knives. Right. So he points the gun at Leo's face and like you could tell he's kind of buying for time. Like, cause he's just like, why is this guy not scared? You know? Right. Uh, and as it's very clear that Tex is like, all right, I'm just going to shoot you right in the fucking face. Brad Pitt goes. Yeah. And then off goes Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> she fucking just goes ballistic whoa. on this guy, takes his arm, goes yep. for the leg, goes for the balls. Yes. It's just a, you know, dog brutalizing man action. And it's really fun. It is insane. <laughs> so, like I said, I had seen this before, so I was aware with what was going to happen. Right. Still watched it through my fingers because <laughs> it's just I know it's it's graphic. It's Tarantino. You always expect this. And it's always played to be cheeky, funny, like insanely graphic and horrific. And it is. And it is yeah. really enjoyable, but still, I have a hard time watching it. So I'm like, I did watch it, but like, it was like, eh. yeah, I mean, knowing what these people did in real life, yes. you know, it is definitely kind of a revenge fantasy almost. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, Hollywood. There it is again. Hollywood yeah. revenge fantasy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fine. I have no problem. If we this no had actually with. happened to these people in real life, I wouldn't have minded. <laughs> exactly. Totally. So the dog is losing his shit on text. Yes. Uh. I think this might be the worst part for me. Um, annoying dark haired girl to Brad Pitt's right screams yeah. and starts to run at him. Brad Pitt has been holding a can of dog food and he throws it at her face so fucking hard that it crushes her nose basically into her oh, fucking brain. It slices into her face like half her face is cut and, you know, cut open. It's horrific. And she her yeah. screams are. She's basically a horror movie monster at this yes, point. Exactly. This character is because she's doing a lot of screaming, just fanatical waving yes. around and just, you know, yeah, the out flailing of is crazy. So um, at some point, uh, which I thought was really cute, Italian wife, wife just punches, goes, yeah, hey, you. <laughs> and then she punches the redhead, <laughs> manages to run back and escape the redhead. Um, Brad Pitt six Brandy onto screaming girl on the floor. Yep. He has an interaction because the redhead goes to tackle Brad Pitt and then he smashes her head 8,000 times. Well, we missed one what? thing. Um, you know, he six Brandy on the other girl, yes. you know, brown hair girl. He goes over to Tex and stomps his face in. Yes, that's right. And I there's a nice juicy sound effect as he basically crushes the his skull. The sound is like <laughs> insane. You know, Brad Pitt, it makes sense. He's a stuntman. He's doing right. all of these things. And like, they had to show us that he is physically capable by beating up Bruce Lee. Exactly. So that's the one reason that that yeah. scene is kind of there. Right. Totally. So like he like he's clearly a buff guy, but you're right. We have to show that he is physically able to do these things. Right. Because even though he's been out of work for forever, like he, he mentions it, too. He's like, I don't know, like eight years it's been since I've had, you know, whatever. He's just yeah. basically been Leo's driver. Um. So, yeah, girl is screaming on the floor uh, with Brandy yeah, attacking. Going ballistic. Yeah. And like you said, other girl runs to, you know, Brad. They They kind of collapse into the. The fireplace. Yep. Brad is stabbed, or you know, whatever yeah. his name. We'll just say Brad because he plays Pitt. Brad Pitt. He's stabbed through the side like of the thigh. It's like right in his hip, and it's this, yeah. this knife is probably stuck in his thigh bone. Yeah. Um. But he's obviously tripping balls, so he doesn't really he's feel like, it. Whoa! And he kind of touches it, like taps it. Exactly. The hilt of it. It's. It is funny. I'll give it to him. Like I don't find much that he does to be funny right but like he he does a pretty good job he's he's doing a brad pitt job here yeah and then as you said earlier he then grabs this girl's face and smashes it into everything the literally fireplace, everything the wall the you know uh, the pictures on the wall the uh, multiple columns the phone <laughs> just like just totally demolishing this girl's head it's gross and hilarious like yes. it just it, it is insane and so i don't know if he calls off brandy I think he does. He calls off Brandy because he falls down. It's before he passes out. Yeah. Um, but he calls off Brandy. And so insane 
girl that has been had her face smashed in. She's been devoured by this dog with the dark hair. She's still screaming and flailing this yes. whole time. And honestly, I should have looked at the. Uh, she's kind of like a monster out of a Sam Raimi movie right yes. now. She could easily fit in Evil Dead. For sure. <laughs> and she looks like she's muppeting like crazy. She like is. Her arms are just like all over the place. And um, she because she can't see because her face is like. Yeah, tore up yes. and just mangled. And so she runs through the plate glass window into the pool. Yeah. And Leo's like, what the fuck? Yeah, because this is the, he was out there the, the entire time listening to his headphones. He didn't hear he or was know chilling. any of this. I mean, like truly insane. And so like. She uh, obviously movie monsters where she pops back out of the water and is like, yeah. ah, like and she's just firing the gun wildly yes. into the air because she got the gun. Yep. And anyway, Leo manages to get out and she's just she's just a, an animal yes. at this point. Just exactly. Waving wildly. Mm-hmm. And he runs to the shed and comes back out with the flamethrower yep. that he had her on the movie. And yeah, he just lights her up right there in the swimming pool. It's I mean, it's so I mean, I hate to say it's satisfying and it's so it's OK to say it is. It's I mean, satisfying. It is enjoyable to watch. It mm-hmm. is like because you expect this. You expect this from Tarantino. And right. he shows up at the end and really fucking pulls it out. Like, and it's great. And like you said, it is a revenge fantasy. I think this is what mm-hmm. we would all like to see as opposed to what actually happened in real life. You exactly. know, so it's it's great. Yeah. So I, I will admit this scene is fantastic. So and I actually think based off of the conceit of the movie of like, you know, your your career can change on a dime in mm-hmm. Hollywood. It could be somebody decides to go to a different house. Could be that somebody moves in next door. Could be whatever. Yeah. Your career, your trajectory, who you are, your fame, your fortune could all change on a dime, yeah. which is the whole point of this movie, right? Yeah, and the one thing reality. too, uh, kind of rewinding a little bit to mm-hmm. the beginning where the family's driving up, the yeah. musical drop there is Out of Time, mm-hmm. which of course you could read multiple ways into that. You're thinking right. originally, oh, it's Out of Time for Sharon Tate, but yes. then also this, since this movie is taking an alternate approach, it mm-hmm. is out of time into a separate, yes. you know, wavelength or whatever term you would like to use. Uh, yeah, like a, a different... A divergent path. Yes, exactly. The the cops show up. You see a mm-hmm. little bit of like funny stuff with Brad Pitt describing about how the guy's like, I don't know, he's saying Satan shit, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, it's a exactly. little funny bit. He's, he's woozy and probably still tripping and like whatever. And mm-hmm. so cops are there police are there and so it's very short short and sweet you do see a a great moment between the two of them their their friendship where he's like i'm gonna meet you at the hospital what hospital are you going to and he's like you're a good friend you know yeah it's the first time he tells them that he's his friend throughout the entire movie yes the rest of the time he is very much treated as a co-worker or an employee yeah and he called him like my buddy or like good buddy you know but it was just kind of a moniker it was didn't really feel like he was like referring to him exactly and brad pitt is supportive of him the whole movie like he's your mm-hmm. rick fucking dalton and he goes over and he watches his his tv appearances and he mm-hmm. like pumps him up before he goes into work like he really i think he does care about him yeah you know and so um so brad pitt gets driven away and as leo's standing out there jc bring obviously wanders down because there's been all this hubbub in the cul-de-sac mm-hmm. and he's like, what's going on? And so he talks to him and he explains what happens and he's like, these hippies broke in or whatever. And while he's talking to him, um, Sharon Tate's voice comes over the intercom and is like, holy shit. Oh my God, Rick Dalton. I'm so excited that you're okay. And like, I've always wanted to meet you mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And he's invited up to the house. And this is where we get really nice. Like it's not a crane shot. It's probably a drone shot, right. but like, up and over the trees and then you see from above he's introduced to her two other friends at the house he's his reality and his dreams are coming true which is by knowing these two famous people and their other famous friends his life will take a turn yeah and it will probably take a turn for the better Mm -hmm. so i I mean i hate the term sliding doors because it refers to a dumb movie but like it, it is truly that experience where it's like what would have happened you know if the Manson family went to this house and not that that house. And what would have happened if, you know, Sharon Tate hadn't moved next door to Rick Dalton or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. There are a lot of those moments. And um, I think you leave on a satisfying note. Yeah. I mean, that movie definitely ends on a high point. Well, good. So after talking through this, do you like it anymore? Or do you just kind of like I still I'm sorry. It's it feels like two different storylines mashed together. The first time I saw it, when I saw the uh, title card that said six months later, I was like, what are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. 
I was very I mean, shocked. Once again, I knew that was going to happen because she wasn't pregnant. And I knew the well, general yes. conceit of what happened in terms right. of it's an alternate, you know, take on right. what happens with. the. I just thought the pacing now. of it would have like I was like, OK, so maybe they've got to show their lives like very quickly from February to August. Right. As opposed to here's just a week in the life and then six months. Yeah. And then this. So. I, you know, I, I do really like it. It's not my favorite Tarantino, not by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I found it very enjoyable. If you're a Tarantino fan, Sam's right. You could skip to an hour and 20 minutes in and be pretty happy with it. Yeah. I mean, it's really more like two hours in. That time skip's not until about two hours in. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because it tells you everything you need to know about the characters and where they're at in the expo dump. It really does. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you don't really need the first two hours. That that McQueen expo dump was hilarious. Yeah, it was just so weird. It was so out of place. And like I, I Tarantino does so many things as an homage and how to be overtly. He does a lot of things with intention. Yeah. So I guess take that for what it is. But I agree. I was trying to think of a top five list for this. And I am. I, um, I don't have anything. I know. I, I was like, it would have been a lot harder, I think, to come up with it because I was like, you know insider references and i'm like no that's just that's too many because i also don't understand half of these old and old insider right exactly or like you know like real people cameos i was like "Eh." i mean like you don't get it enough to like i mean like bruce lee is obviously the most featured right you know but like you know you see mama cass at a point but like you don't talk to her like you just see her at the party or whatever so anyway that was that um but now that brings us to our second and final segment of the show the pitches in this segment of the show, one of us this week, me, has written up three blind pitches that I will present to Eden and she will pick one. I will obviously let her know which movie they are, you know, it is and then how the uh, what the other two movies are and how they relate and, you know, correlate with this week's film. Correct. So are you ready? I am ready. All right. <clears throat> Pitch number one. The scum of the earth run rampant all across the city, and the cops are just as crooked as the criminals that roam the streets. One skin job stands alone against the forces of anarchy and chaos. Didn't you get the memo? Oh, that feels like that should definitely be uh, a hint that I haven't picked up on yet. But go ahead with the second one. All right, pitch number two. When the city government decides to privatize their police force, who cares about the life of one officer? Manipulated and violated by the institutions he'd sworn his life to defending, one man must regain his sense of humanity in the midst of overwhelming corruption. Yay, capitalism! Got it. And then the third one. Oh, geez, can a guy catch a break? One minute you're working a dead-end job, and the next you're dumped in the gutter by the worst that humanity has to offer. He may fight dirty, but he's cleaning up the sludge of criminality one bucket at a time. So all three of these, to me, feel like... um... I'm getting notes of like Terminator vibe, Demolition Man. Oh, no, wait. We talked about this before. I get Demolition Man confused with Judge Dredd. That also kind of feels like this. I'm getting that vibe from these. Um, but the first one, you don't have to read the whole thing again unless you want to. But um, remind me just like the high points of the first one. The first one was. I'll go ahead and just okay. read them again. Got it. The scum of the earth run rampant all across the city, and the cops are just as crooked as the criminals that roam the streets. One skin job stands alone against the forces of anarchy and chaos. Didn't you get the memo? Oh, the memo obviously is supposed to be a clue, and skin job I think also is a clue. Okay. Are you trying to cheat right now? No, I, I'm <laughs> taking notes so that way I remember what's in what ah, one. Okay. So what's your second one? When the city government decides to privatize their police force, who cares about the life of one officer? Manipulated and violated by the institutions he'd sworn his life to defending, one man must regain his sense of humanity in the midst of overwhelming corruption. Yay, capitalism. Mm -hmm. Capitalism. Capitalism. Okay. And then the third one. Oh, geez, can't a guy catch a break? One minute you're working a dead-end job, and the next you're dumped in the gutter by the worst that humanity has to offer. He may fight dirty, but he's cleaning up the sludge of criminality one bucket at a time. Oh, and I see the last one also sounds like a superhero movie. Like uh, Homegrown, Vigilante. Oof, crap. Okay. I'm going to pick, I'm most interested, I would say, in one in three. I'm going to say number one. Okay, good. I was kind of hoping you would pick oh, this good. one. So you have chosen... Wait for it. 
hobo with a shotgun. What? <laughs> Amazing. The Rucker Hauer, uh, you know, uh, Grindhouse yep. movie from 2011. Perfect. So obviously skin job was a reference to he was in Blade Runner and they called replicants skin jobs. That's right. Yeah. And then the didn't you get the memo was his kind of catchphrase in Batman Begins. Oh, uh, got it. Oh, man. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. All right. So we got a hobo with a shotgun. So the second movie or the second one was RoboCop. Aha. RoboCop. Got it. Got it. Got. Oh, privatized cops. That totally makes sense. Yep. Okay. And then the third one was the Toxic Avenger. The Toxic Avenger. What's that? You. What? You, you don't know the Toxic Avenger? <laughs> I don't. Trauma movie from the 80s, uber violent, uh, from obviously Trauma Studios. Um, Toxic Avenger, 1984. She's looking it up on the internet right now. I can't believe she's never heard of the Toxic no, Avenger. No, I haven't. Oh, no. So describe it to me a little bit. Obviously, I, we know, didn't I, pick I've it. I've never seen it, but oh, I know okay. of it because there was actually a kids TV show in the 80s, The Toxic Crusaders, uh-huh. which they were all toxic, uh, waste-themed kind of superheroes and such, but... It was one of those properties that should have never been adapted for something by kids because it is so over the top, bloody and violent. Was that your theme? But yeah, well, this movie to me was very much a 60s nostalgic wank fest with, you know, that that bit of uber violence. Mm -hmm. So I basically extrapolated and said, well, let's go with something else nostalgic for me, the 80s and go with over the top uber violence. Over the top uber violence. Obviously, I kind of... Blurred the line a little bit with Hobo with his shotgun, but it is very much inspired by this kind of 80s grindhouse action schlock. So I gave it a pass. I love it. Well, I'm very excited. So you've seen this movie. I have not seen this movie. I wanted to see this movie. That's why I'm glad you picked it. I I had actually never seen any of these from beginning to end. At, at the most, I've seen clips and bits. That is great. So I'm excited. That'll be, is this the first one that neither of us have seen? Uh... It might be. It might be, because you had seen Stand By Me. I'd seen Stand By Me. You'd We've seen, seen obviously, Quest. all the Pirates movies. Right. War of the Worlds, The Mummy. Yeah. No, um, yeah, you'd seen The Mummy. I hadn't. Yeah, exactly. This might be the first one that'll be new for both of us. Yeah, I think we're going in blind. All right. A true blind pitch. Love it. Well, all right, everybody, thank you for hanging out and let us know your thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And if you like this podcast, why don't you go ahead and subscribe? and rate and review. That would really help us out. If you want to find us on Instagram, you can find us at Storage Room Movie Boom on Twitter at Storage Room Pod, or you can send us an OG email at storageroompod at gmail.com. Love it. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.